All right, guys, welcome back to the Jiu-Jitsu Motivation Podcast. I'm Greg Melita, Black Belt Second Degree, owner of Hamptons Jiu-Jitsu. I'm Brian DeLuca, Black Belt and author of Jiu-Jitsu for Small People and other weird shit I think about. <laughs> guys, we've got an awesome guest on today, Dean Thomas, uh, MMA pioneer, UFC legend, and um, we want to get his take on a lot of different topics today. Dean, thank you for coming on, bro. appreciate hey, man, it. man, thank you for having me, man. I'm honored to be surrounded and blessed by you guys is great <laughs> the Hamptons man yeah we had you uh you popped into Hamptons jiu-jitsu that was uh that was during the uh pandemic it was 2020 year right yeah you know we snuck in you know right when a uh, pandemic was like at the height of it and everybody was sneaking around and I snuck into the Hamptons <laughs> hey you gave us uh, you gave us the secret knock on our door yeah, there, you know, the yeah, yeah. Code, right and uh, we got you in there. But no, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Definitely can't wait for you to come back and, uh, you know, host a class or seminar at our place. But wanted to get you on the show. And, um, you know, you, you're one of the pioneers of the sport, man. So we could not have you on the show. And uh, let's start with that. Let's start with, uh, you know, your kind of your entry into MMA and kind of how that all started. What do, what do you got? Well, you know, I mean, it came down to this. And, and it's funny that uh, Brian was talking about, like, he's, he's, he wrote the book. Uh, what was it? Jiu-Jitsu for small Jiu-Jitsu people. For small people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really why I got into it because I was small. You know, I was in a, you know, in middle school I was like seventy pounds, and high school wow. I was hundred pounds. So, you know, when you're a man or a young boy, teenager growing up, and you're the smallest dude, like, you know, you kind of like you don't want to get beat up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, when I saw the UFC. UFC 2, it was, man. And Hoist Gracie, that was the first one I saw. It was like 1993 or so. And Hoist Gracie was, you know, beating everybody up. I was like, I got to learn how to do that because I don't want to get beat up. You know, like, that's really what it was. I just didn't want to get beat up. Until this day, like, that's the reason why I still am involved in the sport. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be on a World Star hip hop video like World Star <laughs> in the middle of the street because I got knocked out by some dude. So, you know, I just do. You know, I want to make sure I know how to defend myself. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk about being small because I'm a small guy. Greg's not a big guy either. You know, we're we're all on the smaller side. And I mean, growing up, right? It was either like you sort of accepted getting picked on or bullied around when you're small, or you sort of fought back. Like those were your options. You know, like you you didn't have any other options in it. No, you didn't. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like or like if you like a lot of like smaller guys can be kind of class clowns and they make everybody laugh. Mm -hmm. And I think like that might have been like a time like I was an introvert. But like I think that like to to take away attention from me to like divert attention, like I would be kind of try to be funny and put the attention back on somebody else. So um, that I think that was the way I kind of dealt with it at first. But I was like, man, this ain't gonna last forever. (laughs) <laughs> well, and then sometimes it's funny until they ain't funny no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It ain't funny until they ain't funny no more. And then it's like, uh oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta do something. That's right. Was it, was it actually like you started? So you saw like Hoist Gracie in the UFC and all that, and you just what you found like the closest martial arts gym to you, or you just started doing it on your own? Or? Yeah. So I mean, now, now granted, fellas, this was nineteen ninety three, ninety four, three ninety four, ninety five, when like all this was going down. So like. You know, the UFC, like you'd only you could only watch UFC a couple times a year. So like it wasn't as big and as and as exposed as it is now. So mm-hmm. um so back then, I, you know, all we had was seminars really. We didn't there was no no internet, so we had seminars. So like I would go to the grocery store and get the black belt magazine and look for seminars. And I would go to whatever seminar was on the East Coast. So I, the very first one I went to was 1995, Hicks and Gracie, two-day seminar. It was in North Carolina. I drove there. I slept in a car, you know. So, um, but it was like I learned so much in them two days. I mean, it was like it was like five hours a day for two days, and that was my first time doing jujitsu from an actual jujitsu person. Other than that, it was just like watching it, you know, be you know mesmerized by it. But then I did that seminar. Then after that, again, go back, find out what other seminars. I went to a Half Gracie seminar, Hoist Gracie seminar, Marco Hua seminar. And like, and it was just like, that was all the exposure I had to it was just going to seminars. And then, um, and then just, and videos, videos. 
VHS videos. Hey, uh, Henzo Gracie Craig Kukuk. Oh uh, man. Pedro yeah. Pedro Cavajo. Um, uh, Mario Sperry. Like we had those videos, and we were just at the, in the house. Me and my buddy Paul Rodriguez in the house. Looking at videos, trying to learn how to do this stuff. And probably on the, the MMA.tv forums or sure, sure Dog. I mean, I still have the stack of VHSs right behind me. It's like it's huge. Like, what the hell do I do with this shit? You know what yeah, I mean? Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. vintage tapes. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Now, you were looking in, you mentioned you were looking in Black Belt Magazine. Now, that was like every type of martial art in there. There was like karate, kung fu, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a lot back then when you were looking for these jiu-jitsu seminars? I'm assuming they were pretty sparse. Like there was just one here, one there. There probably weren't that many back then. No, it wasn't. That's why I mean I was always I always had to check. It wasn't. And it was like they would be I mean because you're right, it was like they would have stuff for like, you know, Kyokushinkai karate and right. taekwondo. I mean, it was I mean, it was everything like stick fighting, you know, mm-hmm. so like I would just look for just whatever, jiu-jitsu, 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 whatever, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Gracie. I would just look for whatever, man. So, I mean, it was few and far between. But, you know, you know, I got my fix just because, like, I'd be at the house and me and my buddies would just roll around in the grass and, mm-hmm. you know, play around and, and figure out how, to, how this works. And, and I'd, you know, try to wrestle with some wrestlers and that was in high school and just seeing how this worked, man. And that, that was kind of how I got started. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I love that. Cause you know, I started like 1999. It's the same thing. Like you're trying to get the magazines. You're like, Oh, let me order this VHS. And you mentioned Marco Huas. And like, to me, that was like one of the, the you know, the, the pioneers of like, you know, really mixing like everything. Together. Like Muay Thai, he was like awesome with that. Um, but yeah. So like, at what point did you realize as far as like you were seeking out, obviously, cause you saw the Gracie name and jujitsu was like, and at what point did you realize, wow, I got to actually, you know, separate the disciplines and then start mixing this like, like in a true eclectic kind of way. Well, I mean, it always was like that for me, honestly, because, um, so about a year of me just kind of playing around, um, I started doing like these shoot fighting competitions. Mm-hmm. They were in Miami and, um, there were, it was essentially what would amateur MMA would be today. So like, that's really what the rule set was kind of like. So I started doing that. So like, I knew from the beginning that, like, I didn't have a background in any every anything, and most of the guys that fought in that were like specialists in something. Mm. So, like, it was like a, they would be like a wrestler or a karate guy or a jujitsu guy, and those are the guys that I was fighting. So, like, I knew from the beginning. I said, all right, if this is a a, a kickboxer or a karate guy, I got to take him down. And then if it was a wrestler, I go. I'm going to let him take me down and I'm going to submit him. And then if it was a jujitsu guy, I would just go, all right, I'm going to keep this on my feet and just try to knock him out. So I knew from the beginning to try to find the weakness in anybody. So like I knew, so like I, like that was always my mindset. It was never, I never had a filter towards the game and go, all right, this is what I am. I always thought whatever somebody else is not good at, that's where I'm going to find, that's where I'm going to beat them. You know, it's funny. Frank Shamrock told us a story about how he used to go in the dressing rooms for Ken Shamrock to see what type of outfit the guy had in order to fight them, which is the same thing you're saying. Like you used to be like, if it's a karate guy, here's my here's my so the you know, here's my here's my tactic. Right. Here's how I'm going to fight them. It's it's interesting that like at the beginning it was it was looked at because, you know, people, you know, that's what made fighters like you great. You know, you were you were striking, you were doing jujitsu, you know, at the very beginning of this, because so many people were one dimensional at the very, very beginning of, of MMA. Yeah. And when I look, when I look at the game now, like everybody's so good at everything. So it's like, you know, like everybody's so good at everything and everybody's complete. So like to even suggest that somebody's a complete fighter is almost redundant because that's really what it is. Like everybody is. But I still look at the game the same exact way where I'm always just trying to find weakness, weaknesses of people. So as I'm coaching fighters, I'm always looking for the weaknesses of their opponents. Now, they're not as apparent as they used to be. You know, like if a guy was a wrestler back then, he had zero striking. (laughs) Nowadays, everybody's good at everything, generally good at everything, but everybody still has weaknesses. So the goal for me now is to really be able to break people down and find those weaknesses, like those little micro weaknesses within mm-hmm. their systems. Yeah, did you ever do any, um, you know, obviously you were MMA focused, but did you ever do any specifically grappling only competitions? 
Yeah, I did. I actually competed in the uh, Feli World Championships twice. Um, the first time was in Fort Lauderdale, and I took second. I lost to Hanato Tavares in the finals. And then I went to Poland and competed the year later, and I lost to an Italian guy in the first round. I mean, the rules were different, a little bit different. Mm. But, um, but yeah, and I, but you know, that was – I did that, and I did a couple grappling matches. Actually um, – the first grappling match I ever did, this is a cool story. First grappling match I ever did was a Naga event in Danbury, Connecticut. And I was, this was like, you know, when I was kind of big time, you know, it was like early 2000s. So like my name was kind of out there. So they had me do, oh, yeah. they had me do a super fight against Rodrigo Gracie. And it was in Danbury, Connecticut at a Naga. And he had me in a Kimura and he broke my arm, you know, Soccer, Sakuraba style, broke my arm, Sakuraba style. And I yelped a little bit and he let go. And as he let go, my arm packed, uh, popped back in place. And, um, and the ref was like, did you tap? I said, no, I didn't tap. And he said, all right, keep going. So then I finished, <laughs> yeah, I finished the match out. Yeah, I finished the match out with a broken elbow against Rodrigo Gracie. Uh, it was like probably 2000 or so. That's that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. But yeah. you, you, when you see fighters like have a serious injury like that and they just keep keep going, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, no, like, and yeah, definitely. I mean, but the thing is, like, you know what? Like, as, as much as I could be like, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'm a badass. In the moment, like, I didn't even think about it. Like, I didn't know yeah. it was broke. Like, if I looked back and was like, yo, your arm is broke, I'd probably be like, ah, mommy, help. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. probably what I would have done. But, like, in the yeah. moment, like, you're just so focused on the task of, like, you know, competing and just you're in the zone. Like, you don't even think about it. But mm-hmm. when I look back, I go, damn, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> broken arm, man. I need to seek some medical treatment. Yeah, we, we I, you know, a lot of fighters like that. I remember one time we were, you know, training in my in my buddy's shed, right, in jujitsu. I separated my shoulder, and they were like, "Let's pop it back in place." We we YouTube a video. I'm like, "No, no," and I literally drove myself home with my shoulder separated about 45 minutes to get back home yes. to go get it. Yeah, like in. you don't like, think you about know. it until it's until it's over, and then you're like, "What the hell was I doing?" Yeah. yeah, it's like what's wrong with me? Yeah, in the moment, adrenaline going, you know, it's one thing, yeah. and then afterwards, you're like, "What the the hell was I just doing?" Yeah, and you, you mentioned Sakuraba because I mean, he's obviously a, a legend in in the sport. And speaking of that, what what were some inspirations to you besides like initially watching Hoist Gracing the UFC and all of that, and coming up in MMA, like MMA inspirations? Um, so like I, I was again, like I was as complete as I could have been for the time. So like my inspirations were pretty complete, but they were always still very jujitsu centric. Mm. And that was because of, again, the principles of jujitsu were always least path of path of resistance. Um, You can be the smaller guy, like other arts, you couldn't really be in wrestling. Like wrestling is like, all right, you know, if this guy's three pounds heavier than you, don't compete against, you know what I'm saying? Boxing <laughs> the same way. So like, but jujitsu was always smaller guys. And plus at the time getting started, you know, there were a lot of like, you know, weight classes didn't really matter. So like, that's the generation I'm from where like weight class don't really matter. So like my inspirations were like Morello Bustamante, Fabio Drigel. Um, I loved watching those guys. Half Gracie. I loved watching Henzo. Um, but then also, too, like, it's talking about being complete. Like, I also liked watching, like, Jose Pele Landy. Like, he was great. And uh, he had he had some uh, matches with, with Makako, who was actually um, Charles Oliveira's coach. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, 20-something years ago. But yeah. Pele Landy, Marco Huas. You know, these to me, these were these were the guys I looked up to. Oh man, Pele! I mean, I'm, I guess a lot of people really yeah, don't know a lot of MMA history, but Pele from Shootbox. I mean, yeah. that that one fight that he had, uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, he's a jujitsu guy, um, but yeah, well, actually, we're gonna have to pull that up on the show one of these days because uh, that was just, I mean, the the start of really combining everything. But those Shootbox guys, you know, predominantly Muay Thai guys with a lot of jiu-jitsu black belts. I mean, those were, uh, you know, big time names, and you could only find those fights on the VHSs that you were talking about. So just, you know, talk about exposure and really the guys that know the history 
and like you said, look at I'm Murillo Bustamante. I mean, just his 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 matches in the, uh, the beginning early prides were just clinics on 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 jujitsu and MMA. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. those are some really big names that we yeah. should definitely mention. You know, and, oh, and, sure. I mean, sorry, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, these other two guys too, and that would be Romina Sato and oh, Bob yeah. Sakurai. I, I have to because like those the Japanese martial arts MMA scene back then was. You know, it's a little sad to see, like, it's not as prominent as it used to be. But the Japanese martial arts back then was just outstanding. Well, you mentioned shoot fighting. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what, what that was. I mean, Japanese shoot fighting with a different rule set. But people don't realize that Japanese shoot fighting is, is like, a huge part of MMA history. Like, you yeah. mentioned Ruman Asado and, and Sakurai. I mean, that guy... Just his, his flying, jumping, spinning kicks, and he didn't even care if he landed on the ground because he was a great ground, you know, technician. Yeah. He's lightweight yeah. Japanese guys. How about the combat wrestling? We spoke about that on a couple of shows back. No, nobody remembers combat wrestling, and that rule set I think could be amazing today because that's where it's kind of going. I mean, the Japanese shoot fighting and combat wrestling have have a huge part that really nobody knows about. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, man. Like when you think back of it, because I mean. Japan, like for me, like when I got started in this game, like my goal was to be able to fight in Japan. Like that was it. It was like, so man, you fight in Japan, you made it. And I achieved that really early. Like I had went over there and fought Uno really early in my career. So like I was good. I was like, man, I'm I'm good. My career is good. Who knew that I would end up, you know, 25 years later, 20 years later, still be doing this. But um but like being being in Japan at those times, man, was was the place to be. It was the mecca of of really where martial arts was. That's where you know. And I remember going there for the, to them shooto events for the first time, thinking, man, these guys are so damn good. Like everybody was good. And I'd come back to the states, and everybody was still kind of sloppy, and you know. But the tides have turned, man. Like you know, the the Americans just really took over. You know, just the influence of being in America, you know, I guess I don't know what it was. Maybe I think you may be able to attribute that to like college wrestling or something. But I mean, it really just took over. Yeah. And you talk about, um, you know, now that you're on the the whole topic of the Japanese shoot fighting. I mean, when the Gracies kind of initiated this whole turn in, in, in martial arts that we saw with the UFC and then everybody, like you said, was looking to Japan as like this mecca. I saw for the first time the true completeness of MMA in Japan, specifically for the shoot fighting. They were complete everywhere. They were judo black belts. They were ground technicians. Like Ruman Asado, like today everybody's looking at the leg lock game and the Donaher guys, but Ruman Asado and all these guys, they were, you know, to me, the OGs in the leg lock game because they were already, that was in their normal days of training, you know, like that's that was a normal thing. So for me, yeah, shoot fighting... It's insane. I love it. Yeah, Sato was doing all that been doing all that stuff, leg locks and mm-hmm. flying arm locks and he's been did all that stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy that we think we've invented this stuff recently or this is a <laughs> new thing when you know every you know, so many times we have this conversation, this stuff was being done at the turn of the century, you know, at you know, in the early nineteen hundreds, things like that, where all these techniques were being used probably for hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's there's nothing new under the sun. Things just get reinvented and come back around or, or, you know, they're popular in the moment, trendy, but there's nothing new, man. Like, and that's just, but that's really what, what I love about martial arts too, is that the, you know, when you break it down, really it's art and science, you know, the art is, is, is why it works in the science or the science is why it works. The art is how it works. So, you know, when I talk about like the, how, you know, and, I, and I'm coaching people. I'm like, listen, these are the techniques. This, this is what's going to work. It's up to you to build it and put it in and paint your picture the way you want to. I can't tell nobody how to paint their picture, how to compete, how to be a martial artist. That's up to you to do that. That's your prerogative. It's either going to work or not based on the science. But the art artistry of it is up to you. Mm-hmm. Now, is that so? Is that something you always knew? Like you, you as you grew up fighting, you sort of had the mentality, or is it something when you started coaching? Right, because you have a whole bunch of schools. As you started coaching more and more, that you started understanding better. No, I think I always kind of knew that because you know, kind of being self-taught, like you kind of had to figure it out. You know, so like when I'm watching videos and you know playing around, with my buddies in the backyard and. 
you kind of had to figure it out. So it was like, I always had an open mind again. Like I, I didn't, it was kind of gift and a curse because I got not having like, you know, an instructor, you know, I didn't have the discipline or, you know, the cheat codes or whatever, but I also had to figure it out right. and had to make it work. So like, that was the gift. It was that, yeah, no one's going to tell you how to do it. So your gift is, your privilege is you get to figure it out. So like, right. that's how, so like, that was it for me. That's a, that's an amazing way to look at it because you had to use your creativity, right? In order to yeah. make this, to make this work for you. Yeah. And I remember when I fought Jens Pulver and like for me, you know, I watched Jens Pulver, you know, beat up Zhao Hulk, who was a jujitsu world champion. And I was like, if a jujitsu world champion couldn't beat him, how am I going to beat him? Mm -hmm. And I said, I got to get creative. I got to catch him with something that's out of the box. And I did a rolling heel hook. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So like that's the way it worked. It was like, get creative, think outside the box. Yeah, I mean, and in, you know, in the UFC, you fought a diversity of people. You fought like Kenny Florian, jiu-jitsu guy, Clay Guida, wrestling, striking, BJ Penn, Matt Sarah. You know, so you were fighting a diversity of of different types of styles in the UFC, or people that are known for you know specializing in in certain styles. Even though they broadened, you know, as they as their careers broadened, but you fought a you know a great amount of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm. I'm certainly proud of my career, you know, and I think that was why it was so easy for me to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you look at fighters that go back, it's just they're not really happy with what they've done. You know, they everybody either they wanted to be champion or whatever, they wanted more fame or whatever. But for me, I was I'm very happy with my career. I'm I'm happy with every fight I had, you know, from you know, getting knocked out by BJ, from you know, tearing my knee against Kenny and him bashing my head in, you know, like all that stuff. I'm proud of that stuff. So mm-hmm. like when I retired, I was like, I'm good. I don't need to go back to this. I don't need this. <laughs> so now, so now, okay, so you fought Matt Sire, right? And you won, I think, by uh, split decision, split yeah. decision, right? Uh-huh. Now you're on a show with him, right? You, you've been on shows with him. How, how's that dynamic? Because you guys, you guys praying, playing pranks on Dana. Do you know what I mean? It seems like you guys have a, you know, does he ever bring that up that you beat him by split decision? No, we, we bring it up. We talk about it all the time. That's like the, <laughs> that's probably the basis of our, of our relationship. <laughs> Uh, now we have a very unique but sort of a competitive relationship, but he's probably my best friend, you know. So, um, but again, it goes all the way back to a story I told earlier against Rodrigo Gracie. At the time when I had that match with Rodrigo, Rodrigo and him were roommates, right? So he was roommates with Rodrigo. But a year later, or a few months later, or before I can't remember exactly, um, Matt Sarah had a grappling match to go to the fine or to go to Abu Dhabi. And in the finals, he beat my roommate, Paul Rodriguez in the finals to represent the U S in Abu Dhabi that year. So it was like me and Matt's relationship started off with beef, you know, like I, I got beat up by his roommate. He beat up my roommate, you know? And so like all the way back in like 19, in like 2000 or 1999, like our relationship started. Then we fought in 2003 or 2004 then we were in the house together on the Ultimate Fighter, and that's when we became friends in 2006. We, we became friends, and then, you know, we just been the best of friends ever since. Yeah, that's 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 awesome to see because uh, Matt Sarah's awesome guy. I used to go to a lot of open mats at Matt Sarah's. We got a lot of guys that um we know that train the Sarah's wind up getting their black belts. And specifically, uh, BJ Penn was in town one time and doing a book signing, and we went to that. And I was with a bunch of Sarah guys, and then BJ we got up and we were just chatting with him. He saw uh, the guys we were with; they had Matt Sarah's shirts on. He's like, "Oh wait, is it Matt's school? Like right here?" He's like, "Oh wait for me, wait for me. I'll finish up the book signing." And then we took BJ over to Matt's. He was in the middle of class and. Whoa, you know, it's like BJ just really and hanging out. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It's just to see like the you know the, the the closeness. Everybody thinks UFC; these guys are beating the shit out of each other. But I mean, you guys specifically, the pioneers of the sport. I mean, you know, legends of the sport. You guys are like actually really tight, and it's yeah, awesome. man. I, I love those guys, man. Like BJ is such a good guy. You know, it, it was sad to see his his career kind of go the way it did at the end. Like I was just like. You know, it sucked for me to watch that because I I didn't feel like I wanted him to retire. And I didn't want some of those guys who beat him to have the opportunity to beat him. I agree. You know, I was kind of like, I mean, even even, you know, even Ryan Hall. I love Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall is my boy. But Ryan Hall doesn't 
didn't deserve to beat BJ Penn. You know, would it in turn? You know, BJ Penn is probably if probably the best lightweight ever. You know, I would go on record to say that like prime BJ would have beat Khabib. You know, like I think he would have. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. Fucking fantastic. I agree. A lot of people don't. I mean, BJ to me is still the best jujitsu, you know, just straight up, you know, talk about, yeah. you know, Brazilian, Hawaiian, American. I don't even care. Just straight up jujitsu, you know, and I, I think he should have did what you did and, 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 and bowed out at the, at the right time because, you know, and BJ obviously being, you know, he'll take any fight. He doesn't care, but it should have been, you know, a little smarter with that. But I, I still think BJ to me is, is still a hundred percent the the guy still that I look up to as far as having not only jujitsu and MMA, but jujitsu in general, you know? Yeah. I mean, by doing what he did, you know, I know his, his heart was in the right place. And I'm not going to say he ruined his legacy, but he ruined his reputation. So his legacy is still intact, but his reputation has been tarnished by the end of his career. And that sucks for me because I think that he was, to me, he's the best lightweight ever. And, um, you know, to let to let these guys take advantage of him like that was was not yeah you know, I, I would have much rather see him and even even you like you know when you're getting you guys are getting past your career and you retired already come back and just do some like legend grappling super fights like fight other you know legends in the sport because you know I'm involved with Kasai grappling and we were setting up like the legend show where these guys I mean even like GSP still might be fighting too but you know you can do some grappling matches you know that's not yeah. uh, a, that's what it should be man just it should be about fun I mean we all love each other you know it's all yeah. love with all the guys but um but I I'll just want some of these guys to ret- retire a little sooner and just hang it up you the only thing though I mean you know uh Khabib Thinking that you were Eves Edwards kind of bothered me, man. <laughs> I get that all the time, though. So, like, it, it, I was I was okay with that. What, what, how'd that go? <laughs> you interviewing him? Were you interviewing him or something? Had that had that happen? No, we were. Um, so it was actually on looking for a fight, and we were actually watching fights together. And uh, we were we were watching the um, I think it was the UAE show in Abu Dhabi, and uh, and. And we were sitting next to each other, and he goes, and he was like, "Hey, you beat my teammate." And I'm thinking, man, I had a lot of fights, but I don't think I <laughs> dude from Dagestan. And I was like, "Who? Who?" And he was like, "Josh Thompson." I was like, "Oh no!" Did <laughs> <laughs> you break it to him? <laughs> Did you tell him you were like, "No, that wasn't me." Like, yeah, that- I was like, "Yeah, I was like, no." I was like, "No, that that was uh, Eve Edwards." I'm, he's like, "Well, what's your name?" I'm like, <laughs> "Oh shit." I'm like Dean Thomas. He's like Dean Thomas. You fought? I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. And I had to like pull my name. I had to pull my record up on shirt off. And then he was like, oh yeah, I remember now. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's yeah. So, jeez. I'm talking about talking about putting a person in in their place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Uh, see. If, yeah, like, if you would have had one bad fight past your retirement, maybe then he would have remembered you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I, I I needed some some bad fights after my retirement, that was it. But that, you know, when I think about it, like I hadn't had you know a significant fight really since 2008. So like, well, I can't expect no matter. And that was you know I, that was like a loss to Josh Near in the UFC. So like, I can't expect nobody to really remember me. Like. It's amazing that you guys remember that I have a career. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, look, I, like I said, I remember watching some of those fights with with you know some of the people we rattled off before. You know, yeah. Your fight with BJ Penn, your your fight with Matt Sauer. You know, I remember yeah. watching those fights. Even even Pulver, man. You, you mentioned Jens Pulver. Pulver. Yeah. I mean, Pulver. that he's you talk about like you know. Um, you know how jiu-jitsu you're fighting a wrestler utilize jiu-jitsu but pulver he was such an awesome wrestler that he, he could sprawl out and stay on his feet and then he had this you know not really unorthodox but like the southpaw yeah dance with that with that insane left hand i yeah. mean and, and that was and that was something that i always said to him i said before connor pulver's left hand was the money you know like that was oh, the man. that was the jackpot like you know, everybody talking about not Connor. even just the left hook, the straight, the yeah. left straight. Yeah, Connor. I mean, yeah, Jens will knock you out with that left man. So, like, that was something I was really concerned with when I fought him. I was like, <laughs> man, I don't want to get John Lewis. <laughs> oh man, yeah. 
Now that's that's uh, John Lewis. He's another uh, another legend in, in yeah. black belt, and I think one of a very early um, American black belt. What do you specifically with jujitsu? I mean, you know, um, you know, you see in the whole thing with the, the leg lock game now, Donna her system, and I mean, obviously nothing's changed and and everything's reinvented. But and specifically in the way they're reinventing it, it as it's, as a system. Uh, it's really changing the, the the landscape in the grappling community. Now, you know, like you spoke about Ryan Hall, and he's pulling off of the specific leg locks that people really didn't think were able to be pulled off in MMA. Are you approaching the like specifically leg locks any any different? What do you think about that whole thing? No, I think they're great, man. You just got to do them right, and I think that that's. And I'm glad we brought this up because this is important. Is I think that um, you know, a lot of people have disregarded jujitsu and leg locks in MMA because they just don't know how to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you do them wrong. It's almost like saying, you know, if I don't really know how to box, I just throw punches at a guy's mm-hmm. face and I lose a fight and go, oh man, boxing doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what happened to leg locks in the game and jujitsu in particularly. And the reason why is because jujitsu evolved so much from the beginning and I, I had a buddy of mine, one of my black belts told me, he said, um, he read this somewhere, was that um, jujitsu lost its steam when it stopped being about competing against other arts. You know, so like now jujitsu is what jujitsu is about is just beating other jujitsu guys. So it evolved to beat other jujitsu guys in a game as opposed to being able to really like defend yourself and win fights. So for me, I still love jujitsu. So I watch jujitsu competition now. And like, I don't know what they're doing, <laughs> but my jujitsu works for MMA. You know, like that's, I'm always going to keep my jujitsu able to work for MMA and in the street. That's what, that's important to me because like that's why I got involved because I don't want to get beat up in the street because I know there's probably some black belts out there that would get beat up in the street because like, they don't know how to like really fight. You know, they, got a good game for jujitsu, but they don't know how to really fight. So I just want to make sure that there's always that connection between all the different variations of jujitsu, you know? And, and sometimes I feel like, you know, pure jujitsu guys don't like MMA guys and, you know, and vice versa. But for me, I'm like, man, listen, we cousins, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got to embrace each other. Jujitsu guys should embrace MMA because without MMA, no one knows who, what jujitsu is. It's the you know MMA UFC is the biggest exposure for jujitsu, mm-hmm. so like embrace that. Yeah. But um, but it's important for me to be able to try to find the common denominators and positions of what works for sport jujitsu and what's working now, like these crazy systems and leg locks. Find how to bring that into MMA in a safe way where you're not getting your face punched in and going for leg locks and just and doing and you being able to utilize these positions. Yeah, that's that's what I'm I'm seeing now too is uh you know like jujitsu to me especially watching you know the the documentary choke I mean you know everybody remembers that back in the day the, yeah. the movie choke was like a huge inspiration and jujitsu was all about what works yeah. you know like that's what it was all about what works like you see the stories of Holes Gracie training and freestyle wrestling and sambo and you know that that was the inspiration I think for most people getting into jujitsu and then at some point I don't know when but at some point jujitsu stopped being about that and what works and what's going to work in a fight and MMA etc and it got you know to with the sportive aspect what works in sports jujitsu you know and it got less to be about what works in a fight and then it all of a sudden became really inwoven into politics and it was all about you know preserving the roots of jujitsu which totally kind of lost track of what it made it famous in the first place you know yeah like <laughs> like i i don't you know it, it's you're right about that like i don't get it like i don't really know who's in control of it i mean there's no real governing body of it i guess you know the IBJJF would probably be the closest thing to the governing body of what jujitsu is. But, you know, again, but who are they, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's really a personal thing and, and I have no hate towards anybody's jujitsu. And in fact, like when I watch these players play today, man, like I think jujitsu's the best it's ever been. Like, these guys today, the way they play, man, like the movement is so great. 
It's so beautiful to watch. While it may not be effective in the street, it's the best it's ever been. Like, you know, like, you know, even me, you know, I got my black belt in 2007 and I probably couldn't compete on the ground in a tournament with purple belts today, the way they play jujitsu, just because like, it's so different. But at the same time, they, you also have to have that appreciation for uh, the reality of what jujitsu should be about. And, and again, that's defending yourself like in a street situation because that's the root of it, you know? So we gotta, you can never lose sight of that. So do you think, do you think, jiu-jitsu practitioners who dive into some of the MMA stuff, like adding that in is more true to the roots of jiu-jitsu than what we see in sports jiu-jitsu now. What do you mean? So people who are, people who are adding like real fighting into it, like MMA type training into their jiu-jitsu, right? Is that more, is that more pure jiu-jitsu? Like it was meant to be than sports jiu-jitsu is today. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. I mean, so, I mean, going back to when I got started, I mean, you know, jujitsu was, and me and Kenny Kim talk about that all the time. Kenny Kim from Atlanta, you know, you would train with the gi on, like when he got started, you train with the gi on, and then you take your gi top off, (laughs) and then train without the gi top, and then you start slapping each other. And like, that was part of jujitsu. Like, everyone knew how to do it. Everyone knew how to do it. Everyone was always aware of being in a situation where you could get punched. Like that was when that's how it was. That's how you, everyone knew how to do that. And I remember getting started too. Like if you was a blue belt, if you was a blue belt, you was the baddest dude around because you knew how to fight. You could take somebody down with a double leg, mount them and choke them out. Like, and and you could punch Like everyone knew how to do that. Nowadays, like at blue belt, you know, you're, pulling worm guard and, you know, and doing all this crazy stuff. Like, again, like, I, and I'm not making fun of it because I, I really don't understand it, but um, but it, there's a place for it, and, and I certainly appreciate the beauty of it. Yeah, that's – and then to your point, it's you said it before, is, you know, at a certain point after, like, maybe it's blue belt nowadays, maybe it's purple belt, I don't know, but you're just training to then defeat – other jujitsu guys that are doing yeah. that specific sports stuff. You're not really like, I, I mean, I say it all the time. Like if you're, if you're a legit blue belt in Brazilian jujitsu, you know, you're, you're safe against 90% of people out there that just never have trained before. And if that's your goal, then, then that's great. But then, you know, are you looking to be good and beat jujitsu guys? Okay. Are you looking to be, you know, get into MMA and use your jujitsu and, and mold it with other things and be good in MMA. You got a lot of people walk through our doors. You, you know, you got to determine what their goal is. Is their goal yeah. self-defense? Then they're going to be comfortable when they get a solid blue belt against somebody, you know, most people out in the street that, that have never trained before. So I think that's a big thing nowadays. You're seeing academies. A lot of people just coming in to just do a different form of fitness. Most people nowadays aren't coming in because they want to, like, protect themselves and stuff. I've seen a lot of people, they're just looking for a different form of fitness. They watch the UFC they see jujitsu you know so i think there's no secrets nowadays uh, everything's on youtube the secret to running a place is the culture you build at your academy and figuring out what goals that each person has when they walk in oh yeah for sure i, I mean i love that i mean that was kind of my thing too when i when i ran my academies was you know right away um you know there's more than just one way to get good at this and a lot of different goals that you can have with this so and if you if you're not in, and that's and people always say oh man where should I train jujitsu I go man figure out what it is that you want from it first and then find the right person who can give you that because you know it's like finding a good jujitsu academy is a lot like dating you just don't want to find the first girl and be like yeah this is my girl you know like you got to <laughs> find out what they have to offer you and what you you know can you you guys have chemistry with the place you're training at yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's you said it right there. I mean that's exactly what we're. I mean back in the day, you know, I mean you you were training at a jujitsu school. You go to train at you know the academy a couple towns over, and all of a sudden you're a trader. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I don't, the times have changed. Yeah, I don't. Well, I I never really was a fan. Again, like the way I came up to like so my gift and my curse. My gift was that I didn't have anybody, but the curse was uh, was that I didn't have anybody. So like I never really had an affiliation until I got with American Top Team. Um, but I had already been training for seven years prior to that. So like for that first seven years, like it was like, learn where you can, it's information, you know, study, get what you can. 
But then, you know, it was like, you know, now, then when I got with a team, it was like, oh, you can't talk to those guys. You can't. I was like, wait, why not? <laughs> those are my friends. I've known yeah. them guys for years. What do you mean I can't talk to them? So, so I, I, I don't know, man. I'm not really into that whole, you know, trader thing. You know, for me, I always look at it like this. I, I get it. Listen, if you come to my academy and you're paying me, that's the transaction right there. You know, mm-hmm. you can go where you want. You know, you paid me. I gave you information. You paid me. That's the transaction. You know, so like that's I never really. So if somebody else wanted to learn from somebody else, you know, just make sure you keep paying me. You, know? <laughs> you just said it. I tell everybody, I'm like, you guys can train wherever you want. And you, a professor doesn't own his students. You have your yeah. home academy. You respect your home academy. That's where you pay your tuition. You want to go to this academy? They do this leg lock specific thing, or you know, you want to learn takedowns here? Like, like do it. That's how. That's how the sport's gonna grow. Yeah. Well, as long as you respect in your home academy, you don't need permission from your instructor to go anywhere. You know, like that's a bit that's a bit weird and creepy, actually. You know, yeah. very very possessive of another human being. I'm like, you know, again, like that. The transaction is, I'm going to teach you some stuff, and you're going to pay me. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. And but if you don't pay me, then you know, then I'm not going to teach you nothing. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Now, has the uh, switching gears a little bit? Had the, the, the show now? Like you, obviously, you you legend in the sport. You did what you did. Um, you you bowed out with honor, and uh, you know. But now, with your involvement with Matt and the show, when and, and Dana White and all that, had that come about? They just reached out to you. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, they you know the show had been on, been running for a, a couple years or so, and uh, they had another cast member on there who felt I had a falling out with Dana and Matt, and. Um, kind of put them in a tough position and they had, had a shoot scheduled to shoot that, uh, you know, the next day. Um, I was in the gym training Amanda Nunez for Misha Tate. And I remember them, them, I've got a call from a 702 number. That's Vegas. I'm like, man, I don't know nobody in Vegas. It's probably a bill collector. So I didn't <laughs> even answer it. And then like immediately following Matt called me, and I saw him asking him, I picked up, he said, yo, man, Dana White's trying to call you. I'm like, what? Why? What'd I do? You know what I'm saying? And then he said, he said, just, he said, just pick up the phone. So then Dana called me back and and then was like, yo, do you, have you ever uh, seen our show looking for a fight? And I was like, um, yeah, man, I love that show. Meanwhile, I had never seen it before. I was like, yeah, but I love that show. And he's like, well, you know, we had a guy drop out. Are you interested in doing it? And I was like, was like, yeah, I'll do it. He's like, yeah, man, Matt thinks highly of you. He recommended you. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll, 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 I'll give it a shot. He goes, problem is you got to leave tomorrow. I was like, dude, I got my bag packed and my passport's in the car. Just send me the ticket. And the rest wow. was history, man. And that's how I worked. And, wow. like, and that's really, from the, for that moment, me just being prepared and saying yes and doing that, like it just really led to a whole different, you know, landscape of my career. And like now, you know, now I'm on the broadcast team and, um, you know, doing the weigh-in shows and, you know, pre-shows and post-shows just from that opportunity of saying yes to doing that show. Awesome. And then you said that before. I mean, this is a guy, you know, you fought Matt Serra, you know, uh, local Long Island legend here. I mean, and then years down the road, that's the, because you thought so highly of you, that's the connection, the show. I mean, it's just, the, the sport is so good, man. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's good, but it's also a lesson in, and you know, relationship. You gotta put yeah, relationship and opportunity and being prepared. And even if it might not seem like something you want to do, do it anyway because you never know what it's going to lead to. So like everything, just everything, all fits inside your inside your puzzle. Everything is an ingredient inside your cake. So like, don't dismiss anything. You never know what something's going to lead to. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of, part of your journey, right? You're taking opportunities that become part of your journey. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome, man. And and once again, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, we got to get you out. Uh, Let me know when you can come out, you know, we could uh, get some training in, have you do a class at uh, Hampton Jiu Jitsu. And um, yeah, I mean, anybody uh, you can recommend uh, to get on the show with us here. We just started, but we've had some, uh, some great guests so far. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, a lot of people should really, delve into more of the MMA history and how it mm-hmm. kind of like the pioneers of the sport, including yourself, 
you know, because a lot of people don't don't really know. Not even everybody knows how Hoist Gracie beat everybody, you know, in the first UFCs and the Gracie family. But specifically that time when you came up, I mean, we're only going to be looking back at that as like a really important part of MMA history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad that it that it could be lost, man. But I, I hope it doesn't get lost. And I hope, um, you know, when I think about it, think back on it, like, man, you can write books about some of these things. And it's important. And that, that history of the way MMA came about is really important. And um, yeah, it sucks, you know, like this this new age of fans, they will never get it. And they probably think that it just started. And Conor McGregor is the, you know, the reason why MMA, but like the whole history, it's the whole history should never, ever be forgotten about. What do you think as far as the, the the future? I mean, you're you're in the forefront of everything UFC and MMA. Where do you see the sport itself going? Man, I, you know, I could I wouldn't even imagine that it, it would be as big as it is today. And to see it where it is today is like it amazes me. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I just know it's going to be big. You know, I'm just you know this, the things that the like the UFC they you know they get a lot of heat for some of the, the things they do, but the things that they do are really for the growth of the sport. You know, like they're they're just doing everything to grow the sport. You know, some guys, you know, oh man, they don't make enough money, but man, there's everything they're doing is to grow the sport and to bring more exposure to the sport. So, um, you know, I got to take my hat off to the UFC and those guys for that. Awesome. So, so we have one more segment Right, Greg, which we yep, call yep. Uh, review yep. we'll my we'll role. Save it for the last. Save the best for last. Yeah. Okay, save the best for last. So basically, uh, what we do is we have you know uh, you know uh, basically viewers of the show and listeners of the show. Some of them send in videos, and we got one here. Let me just pull it up real quick. We got one here. This is actually um, uh, jujitsu. Hold on. This is a jujitsu. This is a jujitsu brown belt. Let me back it up. And from New Orleans at uh, NOLA BJJ, his name is Mo Lejo, I think is how you say it. And he's, but sponsored, he's by, uh, sponsored by Fighter Philosophy. He is, he is, he is sponsored by Fighter Philosophy, okay. so he's a sponsored fighter. Um, basically, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, and this is one of his MMA fights. Okay. So we're going to watch it. We'll we'll comment. Feel free to yeah, comment on uh, anything you want. Thomas commentary in there. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me if you want me to pause. Tell me to pause the whole nine okay. yard. Okay. okay. So hold on. Which one is he? Is he the one who just threw the kick? He's the one that just threw the kick. He's on this okay. side right here. He's on. Okay. He's on the left of the screen. Okay. Okay. I like what I see so far. There's a good sprawl action there. Yeah. Yeah. He looks strong and athletic. Oh, keep those hands up. Yeah. yeah. That leg kick. Oh, he just got caught Uh-oh, a little bit. No, oh, no. <laughs> right, so it was, it was interesting because when he caught the guy's leg, right, and he and he dropped him with the leg kick, the other guy went for a takedown. Now he got hit, <laughs> right? Yeah, he went for a takedown, yeah. And he went, he went for the takedown too. So it was interesting to see that. Well, I'll say this, man. Like, it's not a good thing to go for a takedown when after you get hit and you're rocked. Daniel Cormier talks about this all the time uh, to me. And I always say this too, like it's the worst time to go for a takedown because you got your, you don't have your faculties with you. You know, you need to go for takedowns when you're strong, when you can, when you can think, not when you're hurt, like when you're hurt, you got to find a better way to be able to recover. You can grab a dude, clinch with him, but don't try to shoot a takedown. That's the worst mm-hmm. thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to get sprawled on when you're rocked <laughs> or choked. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so we got him up against the cage here. Yeah, he's got a full Double body lock on him. Yeah. yeah. Okay, nice right. takedown. Oh, get to that mount. Yeah, his guard's Outside. open. Don't get caught in half. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, for sure. He should have been trying to get to mount from there. Oh, there we go. All right. Yeah, guy on bottom could have had him easily in a lockdown or a half guard if he – Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh take it back. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What promotion all right, is? Pa- all right, pa- pause for a second. Yep. See, yep. so so this is um one thing that I think jujitsu guys have to learn from here is that, you know, so like right now he turned this into a jujitsu match. 
Mm-hmm. And he shouldn't have because he's on top. From here, instead of turning it into a jiu-jitsu match, he should have found a way to immobilize a guy the best way he could and started punching him. And like that's so that's what I think separates Khabib from everybody else. Is that Khabib just doesn't get on top of you and try to choke you. He gets on top of you and beats you up until he can choke you. And that's what this guy should have did. Like this guy was straight chest to chest the whole time. He's got great position on him. But the guy on the bottom, like if the round were and now the guy on the bottom would get up and be like, hey, no problem. But you right. and you don't want that. You want the guy on the bottom to get up and be like, God, that was a maul, and I'm <laughs> I wish somebody <laughs> come in and stop this. So like <laughs> all jujitsu guys out there, use your positioning to punch people. Mm-hmm. Don't use it, yeah. Cause they're gonna use your lack of positioning to punch you. So right. use your great positioning to punch people. Right. And and something else you brought up too, you know, like you said, he, you know, he's going to, he, you know, if this was the end of the match, he may go to his corner and be like, man, I want someone to stop this. Like it's not even just about sometimes the Mm. the physicalness is about breaking them mentally. Yes. That that becomes super important. For sure. Yeah. Okay. When striking too, is going to open things up. But think about how all the Gracie's got these rear naked chokes so easily early in the day. They're elbowing yeah. the guy in the back of the head. They're punching them. They're not just getting good position. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Right, yeah. there, tap right there. All right. There you go. Okay, so we submitted him there. Well, he got the submission, but but, but my thing is this. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes when, when this happens, you, these fighters can get a false sense of confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. yeah, because, okay, so you beat this guy who wasn't very good. At the end of the day, like this, the guy he beat probably wasn't very good. But the goal is to be able to beat people at the next level at the next level you're not just going to take somebody's back that way and choke them like in the ufc that doesn't work like you have to be able to hurt people mm-hmm. so like when you get position on people you have to be able to hurt them because then that softens them up and then makes them you know crappy fighters but if they're not hurting they're strong you're just trying to out position them you're never going to submit a guy in the ufc doing that you got to hurt them first wow good <laughs> advice yeah, and that, that's that's the point of jiu-jitsu is getting away from that. If you're just doing sports mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu, okay, that's right. just all great. But if you're either self-defense or MMA, you right. can't forget that that point. All the positions we do set you up for strikes. Yes, exactly. That's the point. Because they used to always say, oh, man, you know, you're a jiu-jitsu guy, but you can make a black belt, a purple belt by punching them, and then a purple belt, a blue belt by punching them. I go, yeah. well, what if a black belt punches you? Yeah. <laughs> What's the, what the that makes, yeah, what does that make you, you know? That's that's true. That's true. You know, and and it's so interesting because we talk about this a lot. The the sportification of jujitsu, like you know, you're fighting for positions versus, like you're saying, striking, and you know, making them want to submit. You know, and to before you get that submission in. Yeah, definitely. And that's and that's the key: is fight for your position, but then get in a position where you can punch them. Then they'll be they'll be begging you to submit them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah. That that was a that was an awesome uh, review right there of the uh, of the review my role. That was that was a uh, spot on. It brought up so many points we haven't brought up on the show yet, which I think a lot of jujitsu guys can uh, benefit from. But Dean, awesome man. I, I really appreciate yeah. your time. And uh, stick around after the show. We'll get a, a chat for a little bit. But guys, make sure you like, subscribe. Make sure you follow Dean on Instagram and Facebook. Um, make sure you keep sending us your videos rolling so we can critique them with our guests on the show. And um, keep training, guys. Keep going. Mm-hmm.